Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Mecca Asonye, partner at First Round Capital. Before moving into venture, Mecca was an active angel investor backing companies such as Coda, Common Room, SnackPass, and Stitch. Mecca also spent four years at Stripe as it scaled from 250 to 2,000 people and matured its sales organization. When he first joined in 2016, Mecca served as one of the company's early account executives, leading their first attempts to go up market and land enterprise logos. For the next three years, he headed Stripe's startup and SMB business, which involved launching outbound sales, optimizing self-serve, building a customer success function, opening new offices, and finding creative ways to support startup customers. In today's episode, Mecca and I discuss him starting his career with a baseball team, becoming a better operator at Stripe, his founder-first approach to investing, and more. We end today's session with a rapid-fire round of questions. Hope you enjoy the show. So hi, Mecca, and thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, So excited to have you here. How are you doing, and where are you joining us from? I am doing absolutely fantastic. It's another day in paradise here in San Francisco. Oh, I'm jealous. It's a cloudy, rainy day here in Philadelphia. But for listeners who may not know, could you provide an overview of your career to date and how you have been involved with fintech? Of course. Uh, It's a little bit meandering. Uh, I will say that I spent a summer in investment banking right out of college, decided that was not for me, and headed over to the Cleveland Indians to play center field. Uh, Just kidding. Um, I actually started uh, in the front office, sort of working in player development and baseball operations, Um, spent four years uh, at the Indians. Um, Left to get my MBA at Harvard Business School, then spent close to three years at Bain & Company in the tech practice working with sort of larger legacy enterprise companies before I finally got the itch to join early stage tech. And that's where I started um, at Stripe back in 2015, 2016. uh, And the company was 200 to 300 folks. And I joined to sort of help the company go up market and scale sales. Spent four years there building out the uh, SMB sales and success teams, started doing some angel investing, and most recently joined First Round uh, about a year ago and spend most of my time here doing a lot of SaaS and fintech investing. That's amazing. We'll definitely get into Stripe and First Round in a second, but it's not too often that I get someone on the show that uh, was part of a baseball team. Uh, What was that experience like? Any lessons that you carried over from there to your career with startups or within investing? Yeah, I mean, of course, I think you can naturally draw the parallel for baseball to venture capital. We were doing similar things. We were trying to find undervalued talent, um, whether it was in our academy in the Dominican or players straight out of high school or out of college. The goal there is to make a bet very, very early on someone. You see something special and hopefully you see them you know, on the major league field five, six, ten years later. Oftentimes, it takes some contrarian thinking. Oftentimes, you're looking at players that other people aren't looking at. So I think there are quite a few parallels with my job in baseball to what I'm doing today. I also think I just learned a lot about organization, company building from my time there. Learned a lot about working with people from all sorts of different backgrounds. And I I look back really fondly on my time at the Cleveland Indians. That's amazing. Any names that we would recognize that you helped scout? Yeah, I mean, there were, there, were, <laughs> there were quite a few that kind of came through the organization during my time there. I'd say probably the most well-known is, is Francisco Lindor, but uh, a host of different players who, who contributed in, in different ways to uh, the Major League Club. Amazing. And today's recording is happening the first day of baseball playoffs, so it worked out pretty well for us. 
Let's uh, transition over to your time at Stripe. So could you talk a little bit more about your role there and how, how you saw the company evolve and your role evolve um, over your time there? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was really interesting joining Stripe. I would say, you know, I think today the company is pushing 4,000, 5,000 people, $100 billion valuation. And I think, you know, when I joined the company was probably two or 300 people in a $3 billion valuation. And it's funny because in hindsight, I was worried that all the upside was gone in the business. Obviously, uh, I uh, drastically underestimated how big the problem was and just how valuable Stripe would become. But you know, my first role was a quota carrying AE. It was selling to mid-market enterprise companies. I think at the time, Stripe had done a really good job of getting mindshare with early stage startups and fast growing companies. But the goal there was, can we go out and sell to more larger legacy Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies? So I spent a year really immersing myself in the product, the customer, and really understanding how we differentiated versus our competitors. Um, when I started to see a big opportunity. And there was an opportunity there to, you know, largely Stripe had spent a lot of time on onboarding startups in a self-serve manner. And I saw the sort of the ability to build out a team that really thought about high growth venture backed startups as almost like as valuable as mid-market and enterprise companies and really giving them a white glove treatment they weren't getting other places. So for the next three years, really thought about, you know, on one end, really trying to give a white glove enterprise experience to high growth startups. And on the other hand, thinking about, you know, how do you deal with thousands of inbound leads a week, many of which are smaller SMBs that you have to figure out how to serve efficiently. So a little bit of a, you know, push and pull and figuring out, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you're giving so many resources. On the other end, you're trying to figure out, you know, how can I make sure that users can get up and running as quickly as possible with as little interaction with the human? So it was a really fun four years watching the company scale and grow, you know, watching the Collisons really step into just build a, a massive company with tons of additional products and services that really reinforce Stripe as a category leader. That's amazing. Do you remember what drew you to Stripe at the time, uh, as opposed to another another fintech startup that you know was similar stage, similar success? Yeah, it was twofold. I think one, it was just thinking about. I remember hearing this fact that I think at the time three or four percent of GDP was uh, handled online, and that just seemed, especially when you're living in San Francisco or Silicon Valley, you, that just seems like you would think that number would be closer to fifty percent uh, when you think about the way you spend money and. You know, I just started thinking about how big this opportunity was. You know, obviously, Andreessen Horowitz said that uh, you know software is is eating the world, and I think there was a slice of of our economy that hadn't quite gotten there yet. So, on one end, I was thinking about, okay, wow, the the size of the prize is huge if successful, and then the second part, and this is kind of a theme in my entire career, has been about people, and I just remember how intentional the hiring process was at Stripe. I remember sort of walking away from each individual interviewer being like, wow, I would sign up to be led by that person. Or I could learn so much from that person. Or, wow, that person is just really interesting. I would love to grab lunch with them and just, you know, hear more about them. So, you know, I, I walked out of an interview experience being like, I wish those seven or eight people were my best friends. And it just felt like a company with a ton of energy that I really wanted to be a part of. And, you know, I didn't overthink it. I was like, big market awesome people. Seems like there's good traction. Like, why not? 
So you're telling me the answer is team and TAM, and I, I wouldn't expect much else from a now investor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Just thinking about like your time working in fintech sales, what mistakes do you see companies frequently make uh, when they're approaching selling to enterprises? You mentioned kind of the balance between white glove versus uh, making a scalable, quick, low human interaction product. Do companies tend to lean one way or the other? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the big failure modes is oftentimes like not creating your experience for your exact user in mind. So oftentimes in sales, like everyone is focused on building a playbook, building a machine. And I think sometimes people focus on replicating a machine that they've seen be successful somewhere else. And I think one of the things that Stripe did really well is everything was always informed by the user. So anytime we're building a product, anytime we're building an experience, anytime we're thinking about what the ideal process was like, we would go talk to our customers and understand how they wanted to buy. So I think one of the things that we really thought about in, you know, in selling to these companies is like, what is the ideal, what does the persona look like? Who's in charge of the payments decision? And how do we want to buy? And how do we make sure that sort of that experience comes to fruition? So one of the things we always talked about in our sales org was teaching with every touch. Many times, this is the first time someone is really dealing with that payments provider for the first time. Or this is, you know, we've done it hundreds of times, but they may only make this decision once every three or four years. So how do we make sure along the process we're educating them on the right questions to ask and what this process might look like? So we're always just thinking about what have we learned from our thousands of interactions with different customers that we can sort of pass on to our customers so that even if they decide not to use Stripe, they walk away more educated or they make a better decision for their business. And maybe now we can switch a little bit to your uh, investing career. I know you got involved with the Angel Track program. Any key takeaways from that that made you a better operator or investor? Yeah. I mean, I think it made me both. One, again, so you're going to hear me say this over and over, but the people in the Angel Track program were just exceptionals. They were sort of the best operators from the best companies at that time and had amazing deal flow. So I would say, you know, one of the, the key takeaways for me is you can always learn something from your peers. And I feel like that eight week program was just like a boot camp for me to really get up to speed really quickly and one, learn a bunch about areas that I thought I knew well, learning even more, but then starting to get exposure to other really interesting areas, getting exposure to other investors and understanding how do they think through opportunities. And what you'll find is, you know, sometimes I built the biggest conviction in an investment when someone disagreed so wholeheartedly with me, but it made me really defend my opinion and understand, okay, why am I holding these opinions? And, I, and for me, so much of these are just about truth-seeking exercises and making sure that you always, even when you're super bullish on a company, you have to say, hey, what could go wrong here? Um, or if you think a company has no shot, doing a pre-mortem and saying, if I'm wrong about this, why am I wrong about this? And always pushing your mind to kind of understand both sides of that investment. And what I really found in the Angel Track program that was helpful was stress testing that with other angels. And, you know, I think First Round did a really great job in the Angel Track program and that each of the partners came and taught a module. So there was definitely like an academic portion of this. Then there was also paired with a very practical program. And then you leave with this amazing cohort of people who are sharing opportunities, discussing how they're looking at things. Like it was such a transformational experience for me. And help me understand, was this 
post your career with Stripe and pre your career with First Round? And if so, did you have kind of an end goal in mind for the end of the uh, Angel Track program? Yeah, so this was during my time at Stripe. I just started making angel investments and I knew that that I wanted to do more. And you know, my goal was just to learn. I had no idea what the program was going to be like. I had no idea that I was, you know, I thought about maybe being a professional investor someday, but at that point in my journey, it wasn't really on the radar. I thought I'd still be in a, you know, another couple of operating roles. But I went in there in terms of build a community build a set of people who, you know, you can share opportunities with, you know, you can introduce your, you know, founders that you're investing in to other angels that would be value add for them. And I feel like I, you know, I left with that. I left understanding, you know, for somebody who does this as their day job, how do they really think about evaluating markets? How do they think about evaluating founders? And, you know, yeah, I, I felt really good about stepping out of the angel track program and feeling like, I had a much better chance of not losing all my money uh, when I was thinking about writing angel checks. Got it. And what helped you make that decision to switch your full-time role from an operator to an investor? Was it just the right time in your career? Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a, a sense of right time in my career. You know, for me, Stripe was a once in a lifetime operating experience. In those years that I was there, it was everything. And I feel like I wouldn't be in the seat that I am today without, you know, a bunch of really amazing peers, an amazing boss that I worked for for four years, an amazing team that I built that, you know, still feels like family to me and still makes fun of me from time to time for some of the dumb stuff that I say. But it was just this really transformational time where I feel like I like fell in love and with operating at a company. And as I was thinking about leaving, I just couldn't imagine choosing the next next stripe and having any type of experience that would live up to that. I would also say that when I think about my career, so I spent four years at, at the Cleveland Indians. And again, I can wax poetically about how much fun I had, you know, running around a baseball stadium, trying to put a, a, a you know, 100 win Major League Baseball team on the field. And after four years, I was like, hey, this is a really great chapter. And I think I'm ready for the next one. So and I think that that Stripe operating experience really freed me up in thinking about what might be the next step. I would also say that the team that I was on at Stripe was selling to early stage entrepreneurs. And I learned so much about the ecosystem. And I started to fall in love with that ecosystem of like, wow, the amount of progress that happens when you see a company, you know, two quarters later, it's, it's magical. It's amazing. And all these founders are looking for so much help to sort of build better and faster. And as an angel playing a small part in that process, you just walk away feeling really good. And I started to say that, you know, this would be a great thing to do professionally rather than just nights and weekends. And, you know, as I started to meet the other partners at the first round team, I, I had that feeling that I had when I interviewed at Stripe with, which was like, wow, these people are special and I will be lucky to be able to be a part of it. Amazing. And I want to talk about a couple of your fintech investments. I believe you've, you've invested in Stitch and SnackPass. Yeah. Uh, what kind of excited you about these opportunities and, and made you confident that these would be the right move? Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I would say in any, anything that I'm evaluating, I'm thinking about it on three lenses. It's product, market, and team. And it's not good enough to just have a good answer on each of those. I think oftentimes you need a spike in one where you say, okay, wow, this is you know, 10x better than anything else I've seen. With Stitch, I was just really, really impressed with the founders. 
And then when you actually started to talk to people about the problem that they were solving, it was clear that it wasn't yet solved. And so anytime you find, you know, two founders with extreme product sort of founder market fit, and you find a space that has a huge problem, like, I think you write the check. Snack Pass is like a little further afield from where I spend most of my time. And, you know, this one you also hear about what Kevin was building. You would, you know, look at the early traction, talk to some of the customers, see just the like viral engagement. It was, you know, it was really special to see that they had they'd captured something that made people, you know, tweet nonstop and, and rave about the product. So there are times where it feels like angel investing isn't that hard when you just hear a constituent say, wow, this is a horrible problem. It has to be fixed. Or you just see people opening an app over and over and over or repeat behavior. Like there are times when the traction is just so evident, like <laughs> you just have to invest. And let's talk a little bit about your role at first round. Are there any particular verticals, geographies, uh, business models, sectors that you're focusing on? Yeah. So I would say first round in general is a generalist firm. Um, and each of the partners sort of have areas where we tend to, to major in. So I would say I'm majoring in SaaS and fintech, which is no surprise given given sort of my background. And I would say, you know, there's an emerging minor in, in crypto on the blockchain. I think there's, you know, you'll start to see a lot more fintech and, and blockchain overlap. And, you know, I've led five investments sort of in the last six months or so, and, and they've been clustered in that enterprise SaaS and, and fintech mode. Any use cases in particular in crypto and blockchain that excite you? You know, I, I, I'm really of the belief that founders write the future. So there have definitely been a couple of pitches where I'm like, this is a really interesting idea, but, you know, potentially there's there's just, you know, something missing. And I'll flag that down as a, hey, next time I see something in this space, I should I should really dig in. But for me, I'm, I'm really founder driven. I'm, I'm looking to partner with, you know, that person who has just a little bit of a screw loose, who's going to run through a brick wall to uh, achieve their goals. And uh, I kind of feel like you know it when you see it. Got it. I asked that question because I'm always asked that question about crypto and blockchain. And it's it's a very difficult one to answer because it's hard to shift between the, the noise and the signal there. Yeah. Um, but noted. Given your background in sales, uh, any particular go-to market strategies that you tend to look for uh, when you're investing in a company or shy away from, especially considering like early stage companies? Yeah, again, I think the go-to-market model has to match the business. Uh, and someone who's just like, I want to build, you know, I want this to be product-led growth. It's like, okay, that's great if you want it to be that way. I understand why it's in vogue, but does it make sense for the business you're selling and the customers you're selling to? You know, I think it can be really hard to start with a top-down enterprise sales model as an early-stage startup, but I think there are startups who've done it successfully. So for me, I'm just looking at like, does this sort of nail fit the hole? Like, does this make sense for who you are for your business model rather than looking for a specific type of go-to-market strategy? And any trends overall within fintech that you're particularly excited about over the next three to five years? I know you mentioned crypto and blockchain. Um, <laughs> you can expand on that or anything else? Yeah, man, I think in five years, the world that we're living in is going to look so, so different. So I think it's really hard. And, and again, to this point of founders writing the future, I'm looking for the next great founder to tell me why the current paradigm is broken and why what they're building is is so much better. I think there are lots of areas where it's like, hey, this workflow is broken. I think there are a ton of really interesting fintech businesses emerging in LATAM, emerging in Africa. 
I think crypto and blockchain is going to have a massive sea change in sort of you know how we just go about our day to day life over the next three to five years. But figuring out exactly what that is today, yeah, you know, I don't know that I'm smart enough uh, smart enough to do that. But I'm sure there's a founder that is. Well, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit, but I, I do like the phrase that founders uh, build a future. I think a lot of times with investors, they'll come, you know, they'll create their own thesis on a topic first, and then try to find kind of back into a company that fits that thesis that they think will be successful. And of course, they'll look at team and product and market as well. Uh, but it almost seems like you're going about it a little bit the opposite direction. You're finding the team, the product, the market first, and then kind of building your thesis around that. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. And I would say there have been a number of pitches where I walk away and say, I've got to bookmark that because there's going to be a founder who I invested in the space. And before that pitch, I hadn't been as fully informed on why the current state was so problematic. And, you know, I often think that's how some of these theses come up is that a VC sits on a call, someone says something like, oh, this sounds like a thesis that I should have. And uh, I'm just focused on partnering with the, the teams that I've backed right now and, and really meeting as many people as possible to, to help figure out sort of where, where I should be spending my time and who I should be partnering with. Amazing. Have you made uh, investments through first round that you're allowed to uh, disclose? So I've, I've made five investments thus far, but none of them are public. I would say if you are, uh, you know, if you've got the right detective skills, you can probably figure it out from my Twitter activity or LinkedIn activity. But um, none of them have decided to uh, publicly announce their fundraise yet. Well, we will stay tuned for those announcements then, or of course, uh, go digging into your Twitter account. Um, cool. So I think that pretty much sums it up for the first part of the conversation. Um, I was going to jump into the rapid fire section next, but is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we do that? No, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Um, so rapid fire round. We'll try to get answers uh, in 10 seconds or less. Ready to go? Yeah, ready. Cool. So you mentioned product, market, and team. If you had to pick one, which would it be? Team. That's what I figured. <laughs> what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know about? I'm Ray Uenflay in Ray Iglatin Pay. Uh, what I just said was I'm fluent in Pig Latin. Took me a second to get that. Um, very cool. <laughs> Does that come in handy at all? <laughs> uh, mostly with my siblings when we're trying to hide something from my parents. And uh, have you realized that they probably know what you were talking about? or No, they don't. <laughs> we, we got to really? a point that we can speak Pig Latin so quickly that it's very rare that anyone can actually understand what we're saying. And if we are worried, we can actually speak Pig Latin in Spanish, which then is just a whole other level that throws people off. That sounds like an incredibly smart group of siblings there. What was your favorite sport to play growing up? So I grew up a huge Chicago Bears fan. I missed the 85 Super Bowl shuffle, or I guess I was alive for it, but I don't remember it. And so, yeah, I played high school football, nothing like the, the lights on Friday night, the band, your community, you know, just screaming and cheering. Uh, it's, it was such a special feeling being out there. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, I would say tie either between you know Tahoe for a local quick weekend or Maui. I really like playing golf. I really like the sun and you know summertime Tahoe and year round Maui both have a lot of both. Best startup pitch you ever heard? A friend who was the third or fourth employee at Coinbase tried to pitch me on Coinbase, and I thought he was crazy at the time. Obviously, I was wrong. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of the ones that you know might keep you up at night a little bit. 
Yeah, just um, a little bit. But luckily, Stripe worked yeah. out, so I feel I feel yeah. better about that one. That's fair. Pet peeve when listening to pitches. Uh, know-it-alls versus learn-it-alls. Uh, I think uh, sometimes founders come in and they've got every single answer. And I think there are a lot of really smart founders out there. But you know, when you ask someone, what could go wrong? And it's nothing. Uh, that's usually not the right answer. Yeah, you, you definitely seem like a learn-it-all type of personality just from this conversation. Cool. That's all I had for you today, uh, Mecca. So exciting to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining. It's great to, great to get to talk to you. Anarud, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I appreciate you uh, letting me talk for a bit. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.